Hi, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to the Who the Fuck Podcast. Inquisitive, authentic, unapologetic. A show designed to create connection, fuel compassion, activate change, and figure out just who the fuck you are. Hey gang, you're listening to the latest episode of the Who the Fuck Podcast. Today we're joined by Melinda Gallo, expat writer and photographer, though no label should be added to anyone because we really need to have people just explaining who they are without these little details. But for the sake of why Melinda is on this show, I will say that she is located in Florence, Italy, which is for anybody who may not know already, although that's unlikely, I did study abroad in Florence my junior year of college, and I've been following Melinda's work for a while now because it's just the perfect way to sink into some nostalgia. And so before we get started, Melinda, why don't you share a little bit about yourself with our listeners? How long have you been in Florence and what initially brought you there from where you were before? Oh, wow. Let's see, I've been in Florence for 16 years, as of, I think, about a week. <laughs> so Happy anniversary. I, thank you. <laughs> I'm originally from California, and after I graduated from university, I moved to Paris because I got a job as a technical writer and tech support person Oh, nice! for a computer company, a French computer company, and I knew nothing about programming. I studied French literature, 18th century French literature, which has no real market value. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least, you know, they say psychology doesn't have a lot of real market value unless you get your doctorate. But I, I think French literature might cap that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, especially 18th century. You know, I was really specific. And so I worked in Paris for about five and a half years. I then did a two-year stint in England. And when I was in England, I thought, well, I could either go back to Paris, find a different job, but go back to Paris or go someplace else. And I was really indecisive about what to do. And I talked to somebody and he said, well, if you could do anything, what would you do? And I said, well, I'd learn Italian and I'd try to find my inspiration to write. And he said, well, then do it. And two weeks later, I was in Florence. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I love that Um, story. That's such a great way to find yourself there. Yeah, and because I've been doing a lot of fiction writing on the side, but really just for fun. And I was wanting to do something more, but didn't really, I don't know, I didn't have the inspiration. I was quite young, so I thought I, I have nothing to write. I mean, I have some things to write about, but I wasn't ready to write about everything. And I went to the consulate in London and I told the woman, you know, because I want to be a writer, I would like to go someplace, you know, maybe I should go to Venice or Rome. Or, you know, maybe Siena, because the year before I had come to Tuscany, and I thought I really loved Siena. Yeah, Siena's beautiful. And she gave me one-word answers. Yeah. She gave me one-word answers for each one saying why I shouldn't go there. She's (laughs) like, one had a dialect, one, it's dead at night, and the other is you'll never meet anybody. (laughs) So I said, okay. So she said, you have to go to Florence. And I said, I don't want to go to Florence. I visited one day in the middle of July with... It was really hot and really crowded. And after living in Paris, I said, never again will I live in a touristy city. But she said, well, that's the only place where you're going to learn real Italian. And you know, you, you'll have a good time there. And I thought, oh, okay. So I came for a month and I cried my first night to sleep <laughs> because, you know, I finally realized, okay, now I have no job because I just gave all my freelance clients away. And I have no friends. I don't speak the language. And I'm living, you know, in this woman's house with four other students 
who are like, you know, eight years younger than me. And then I, I thought, what am I doing with my life? Like, what, what happened? You know, sleeping on a cot, getting eaten by mosquitoes. I thought, well, this isn't really what I expected from Italy. You're like, this is not the so, luxury that I imagined when I put this dream exactly. in motion. <laughs> the demo was really seductive. But yeah, yeah. yeah, the real version was not. That's not it. <laughs> Spoken like somebody who's truly been in the technology space, too, I might say. You're like, there's. it seemed good at first, but then I realized there were actually a lot of things I hadn't considered. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, for a couple of days, I was a little, yeah, not really comfortable. And so one day I thought after school, I thought, well, I'll just, I'll go downtown. Because I hadn't been downtown because I was living right on the, right near Piazza San Marco. And so I was walking around town and I saw this building and I thought, that's an interesting looking building. It didn't look like any of the other buildings I'd seen. And so I walked towards it and I see this, this one door and I thought, that's odd. And somebody popped out and I thought, hmm. And I looked in, it was really dark on the inside. And I thought, what is this place? And because it was rectangular and tall. Interesting. And so I walked in and I discovered it was a church. It was Orsa Michele Church. And I didn't know the name at all until I left. But so I went inside and, and I see this, you know, Madonna on the right side is this immense painting, you know, with marble surrounding it, spotlit, and I was the only one in there and I thought, what is this place? Like it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe how magical and beautiful it was. It was stunning. And so I sat down and I'm not I wasn't I didn't grow up religious. Exactly. I mean, I went to Catholic church or Catholic school for a couple of years, but my family was pretty free. So it was not like there was any requirements or direction. Exactly. So I sat down and I was, you know, still unsure why I was in Florence. Like, what am I doing here? I know someone in Rome and I know somebody in Venice, but I know nobody here. So why am I even here? And so I sat there and I closed my eyes and I was just thinking, you know, what am I going to do? And all of a sudden I heard, I just heard this voice that said, you're home. And the voice came three times, you're home, you're home, you're home. And I thought, I opened my eyes. I'm like, that's really weird. Like, why would they say this is my home? Like, I, I just got here. I don't even think I want to be here. And literally when I walked out, I mean, it was so dark in the church. I walked out into the daylight. It was like, you know, my eyes stung. And I thought, all of a sudden, the whole city seemed different to me. Like, it wasn't, I don't know how to explain it, but it was really this different city I walked out into. And I thought, wow, maybe this is my home. I just didn't know it. Like, I think I felt like I'd always been looking for a home in a sense. Like, you know, in Paris, I really felt like I was home in Paris, <laughs> even though I wanted to live in another city in, in France because I went to school abroad as well in Lyon, France. Oh, nice. And yeah, I loved it there too. It's beautiful. But I, this is and, a, but I never went a, back. That's the amazing thing about Europe, right? Is that you get to experience so much in close proximity to other things. And so I, that was the other yeah. part of why I decided to study abroad there because I felt like if I went somewhere else, especially something that really is its own trip, like Australia or New Zealand, my sister had gone to New Zealand and I was super intrigued by those locations, but I felt like I'm not going to feel connected to my own heritage going to any of those places. And I'm also not going mm -hmm. to be able to travel really much to many more countries, I guess. And so I wanted mm -hmm. to experience yeah. other cultures and it is interesting. Yeah. I think in Europe, there's sort of this 
at least my perception of it, it's there's sort of a European vibe just overall. And then there's like mm-hmm. each country has its own separate energy that goes with yeah. it. And it's definitely it's not really a surprise to me that you had that reaction first to Florence and then fell in love with it because I feel like when I was there, for me, I really, you know, I think I really enjoyed it in the moments when I was there. But then there, to your point about it being a touristy city, you know, I mean, of course I was still a tourist, but my parents said to me before I left, you know, this is going to be the only time really that you're probably going to live abroad. And I was like, whatever, if I, if I want to do it, then I'll just do it later in life. It's fine. And, you know, that's not as easy as it seemed at the time. Like, I'll just move to Italy. No big deal. Not a not a problem at all. I mean, I say this a lot, but like the economy crashed as I was being handed my diploma. And then it was like a film degree. So it was really like, what's your game plan? Are you going to move to Italy and like have make those dreams come true? Like, come on. Um, so, so I definitely feel like there's this part of it that, you know, I think at first I you know, I saw Florence at like a very surface level. And then once you start to like pull back the curtain and really look at Florence beyond the tourist side of it, even if you're doing things Mm -hmm. that are traditionally touristy, like some of the Mm -hmm. photos that you share are from places that are just popular there because they're popular in general, but tourists are there. Like the Bobley Gardens was my favorite place to go by myself in the city because it was like my sanctuary. I felt like I can go here. It's quieter. I would always take my camera. I'd take photos. I'd sit there. I'd write. Like it was just a place for me to go that felt like away from everything because even though tourists would be there, it wasn't like a mainstay for it because it's on the other side of the Arno. So like if people don't go there, then like they're not going there, you know? So it was like easy enough to kind of find an escape. So like the fact that you were saying it, you came out of that moment feeling like this is home, this is home, this is home. Like, I get that, you know, I feel like I have a visceral understanding of what that means for you because I think I was overwhelmed with sort of this idea that there's so many tourists and I don't want to feel like an American in a city where I really want to embrace the culture. And there's just tons of other college kids who are, yes, taking advantage of a study abroad experience in general, but then they're also taking advantage of like sort of the freedom that comes with doing that. And I really didn't want to Mm -hmm. be one of those people that squandered my experience just like getting really fucked up and like wandering around drunkenly like I can do that back at home you know and I really like what I can't do is experience like centuries old and really generations old architecture art culture and just sort of that vibe that Italy really I think generates for people like there's just such a warmth there and so do you feel like when you had that moment of clarity around like this is where I want to be that you sort of were in a position to see how that played out and kind of like, yeah, this is what I want. And this is how I think I'm going to try to move forward with it. Or was it sort of more of a fly by the seat of your pants? Like whatever happens, happens as you're going through the experience. Uh, Interesting enough, it was, it was very liberating because I felt like I was pointed in a direction and I didn't question it. I love that. And little things really fell into place. I mean, so I came in September and by mid-September, I thought, okay, now I, if I'm going to stay, because I was planning on going to another city in Italy since I was only gonna, allowed to be here for three months initially. And I thought, well, you know, I'll need an apartment to myself. I can't live with, you know, all these students and I need to have a job. 
two main things, you know. Yeah, you're you're just go, like a place to live and some money to pay for it and food. <laughs> exactly. And it was weird because the next week I went to school and, you know, I, I asked, he was the only Italian person I really knew was, was my teacher. And so I said, he owned the school. And I said, you know, I don't know if you can help me, but I, I need to find an apartment. And he's like, oh, there's this Japanese girl that's leaving this place. And, you know, we can go in like an hour to this to this apartment. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, okay. And he says, you know, if you like it, then that's good. Then I'll give you the keys and it's yours. And I'm like, okay. And I went to the apartment. It was perfect. So I moved in. Then I thought, well, gee, I can't really get any of my clients back because I was doing freelance database work at the time because <laughs> they're all in England. So he says, oh, actually, he said, you know, I have this like a week later. He said, I have um, my English teacher just left so you can take over the class. And I'm like, OK. So it's like everything just fell into place. And I'm like, this is really weird. Like this guy gave me everything. And I will add, he even introduced me to my only boyfriend I, <laughs> my first two years of being in Italy. So. You I know, love that. He was like my angel who gave me, you know, my life basically in Italy. That's so beautiful. I really love <laughs> how completely serendipitous that all sounds. It really just oh, speaks crazy. to that sort of magic yeah. of both being in a place where you're supposed to be, but also how you have to be open minded. Fall into place. Right? Like you have yeah. to allow it to happen. And that's such an incredible way to fall into your life, you know, and I I think that, you know, you made the point, it's this transition from really sort of the path of what you're expected to do and what you truly feel drawn to. Do you feel like that's sort of the journey that you went on, you know, thinking about going from freelance database work to, uh, you know, randomly deciding that you're going to teach English in Italy? Like, was that something that you, do you feel like you knew before that experience no. that you were like no. needing something completely different? Well, I mean, I still work in the tech business. So a little bit now. So, I mean, I enjoy it a lot, but it's not what I find it enjoyable. I don't find it fulfilling. I was. I mean, there's pieces it, that are really fulfilling. It's funny that you so. said that Melinda, because I was kind of completing that sentence in my head before you finished it, because <laughs> I feel the exact same way. I, love the people I work with. I like the work that I do. I'm good at the work that I do. Mm-hmm. It pays my bills. Yeah. It's food on my table. I'm happy to have that opportunity, but I'm not waking up every day with this like immense, you know, feeling of this is my purpose right. and this is where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. I feel that way right, when I do right. this and I see it in, um, in but it's your... a means to an end. Yes, exactly. You know? Exactly. That's, that's... Exactly. That's how I can rationalize it. I mean, honestly, for almost, I'm trying to think now, four years, four and a half years, I stopped working completely and was only focusing on my writing and working on different projects and kind of just, how do I say, coming out of that whole period of making money to live and somehow trying to be happy with that. And it took me a while. And now I started back in to do the old, sort of the old job I used to do web development and web design. And I really enjoy doing it because it's really, I don't know, I like helping people and I like making things work for them and look beautiful for them. And, you know, I like doing that. But I also realize that that's not enough for me. And I think we're all more complicated than we think. Because we think, oh, okay, I can just get to this plateau and then life is good. Then, you know, 100 years, I'm good, you know. And it's not really like that. I think we 
we have changing needs and desires and there's other things we want to do in life because we realize we can. I mean, we're living in a, in a world now where we can be multiple things yeah, and do different things. I love Which it. they did in the Renaissance, right? Yes. I mean, they were musicians, artists. They were writing plays. I mean, it's crazy what they were able to do in very short lives, you know. Yeah, that's, a, that's very true. That's incredibly true to think about just the amount of brilliance that came out of people at such young ages and to have such profound impacts on our lives and world history is, is really quite incredible. I'd always boggles the mind when I really think about how old some people were when you imagine, you know, Leonardo da Vinci and, you know, plenty of the people in Florence. Yeah. I just think in general, Florence, I feel like people don't know how significant Florence is unless they've been there because like well, I, I think that it's a city that has so much to offer that you couldn't even do most of it in an extended period of time. But like, there's sort of always something new to discover. There's always something new to learn. And what you were talking about as far as the Renaissance, it, it really interests me because, you know, you're for all, I guess, to put a label on it, like you are in a way an artist, right? And, you know, you're a writer and you're a photographer. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's something about being in that environment that really draws out your artistic side, whatever that may be, because you're surrounded mm -hmm. by it everywhere you go. It's like you're just sort of in yeah. this constant state of awe, even after spending time there, because it just... I don't know. I guess I just feel like Florence was constantly surprising to me. Like it was sort of like you, you maybe no, think that you know what to expect. And then all of a sudden you're like, that wasn't what I expected. Like there was, exactly. I think there was something that you had written that really, I, I mean, you wrote, you've written a lot of things that I just, I absolutely adore and I feel like very connected to, but there's this one quote that you wrote that from your blog that I really love. And it's in my last post, I wrote about how Florence is an open museum, but also an open church. I don't see Florence as a church in the religious sense, but as more of a sanctuary, a place where one finds respite and gains insight. Florence's artwork, museums, bridges, gardens, rivers, and buildings inspire us to be present and see the beauty that is all around us. When we perceive the beauty at the center of every person, place, and thing, then we know love. Like, it just, I think, uh, Melinda, it encompasses everything about that city. It encompasses everything about, mm -hmm. like, just what you feel when you're in those places. Can you tell me, like, what, maybe in that moment, if you remember what inspired you to write that, or just in general, like, has living there created more sort of wonder for you? Or do you think it's something that will wear off over time. I think that Florence has an interesting way of nestling herself into our hearts. <laughs> it's really, I mean, I'm still surprised by Florence. I learn about things every day and I honestly don't want to know everything about Florence because I like learning as I go. Yeah. You know, it's like discovering new, new details or new pieces of history or other inventions that were created in Florence. I find that fascinating. And if I know it all, then I only know it with my head. And I like learning with my heart, which means when it's the right time, it's going to come to me and I will discover it and I will enjoy it and appreciate it. I think, like I said before, when I took the, the few years off, I did a lot of kind of releasing a lot of my own, you know, past and my own expectations about life in general, not even just living in Florence, but in general. I said, right before I quit working, I was working in Paris and Florence. 
So I was working at home in Florence and Paris at a company for like five years going back and forth, which really opened me up even more so because I really felt almost spoiled with two different worlds that I was living in, you know, in half the month in one and half the month in the other. And that's like the dream and, scenario too, by the way. You're like, oh, I was just um, yeah, it was, summering in Italy when then, uh, <laughs> you know, I had to get back to, yeah. to Paris for other personal things. You know, it's just, it's something that yeah. I think you maybe imagine in a scenario and what's really beautiful about what you've done with your life is that you've turned that into a reality and you know you said about the tech job and like I seriously could not relate more to you on this it's like you just you know you're doing this because there's an aspect of it that really does serve its purpose but you know there's something that provides deeper meaning to you in being able to capture Florence you know in all of its beauty both in the written word and visually and I'm curious, were you, obviously you've been a writer for some time, but were you always as interested in photography or as public with your photography as you're writing? Because I obviously like Instagram's a really good platform for eyes on the photos and, you know, they're super, they're very beautiful, well-composed photos with thoughtful narratives. So like there's that added bonus when you look at your content. So was that something that you had been pursuing and interested in? Or is that something that sort of just became... I kind of fell into it, really. I mean, I don't even remember how long ago it was, maybe six years ago. Somebody told me about Instagram and I was only taking pictures for blog posts because initially I started my blog in 2004 and I was writing about, you know, the transition to Italy because I moved away and come back. And then, you know, writing about daily life and everything else. And then, you know, I loved, I started enjoying taking photographs, but I didn't really do much with it. I mean, I just, yeah, I took them because it was functional for my blog. It was like I was explaining where I was. And so then I would take a picture of it. It was, you know, much more functional. Then with Instagram, I started getting really hooked into sharing things without having to write about it, you know, because I was writing blog posts. And then I would do the picture for the blog post. But then I started doing just the picture and I wouldn't write anything. I mean, I wouldn't write anything that spectacular. I would just say, you know, you know, watching the sunset from the bridge or whatever, wherever I was or whatever I was doing. But it became like this way that I felt that I could share more of Florence. It wasn't like I had anybody in mind or anything in mind. I just really enjoyed, I would see things and I'd just be inspired. Like, oh my God, I gotta, I have to share this with somebody because I walk around 99% of the time by myself. So you know, it's kind of, I say, wow, look at this, you know, this is so amazing. It's beautiful. And then I got really hooked into sunset at the same time. Heck yeah. I mean, and I will tell you something. Florence for sunset is just next level. I mean, I literally, from where I'm sitting right now in my office, I am staring at a photo of a sunset through the branches and leaves of an olive tree on when I was visiting Fiesole with some friends for a sunset one night. And, um, The photos Ah, that I have from that location are just surreal. And I used to love seeing the sunset from the Ponte Vecchio. And also you, I feel like you post a decent amount from, oh gosh, Piazza Michelangelo. Is that up over? That's, that's the piazza that's like overlooks the city and you can see the bridge and everything, right? 
I'm gosh, yeah, my, yeah. my memory's starting to fail me. That's sad. It's been too long. It's been too long. <laughs> Means you have to come back. I know. I know. I have plans. <laughs> I know. Can this pandemic just end so I can get there, please? Um, that would be great. Uh, so I love how this story for you really unfolds in such a, an organic way. And it speaks to the fact mm. that you have to allow yourself to like live in the unknown sometimes. Have you always yeah. been like that? Or do you feel like that was a change of mentality for you where it required you to sort of say, okay, I'm letting go of this structure and I'm going to just sort of see where life takes me. It just, I think it happened after I did my year abroad in Lyon in France. I returned to the States at the last minute, like literally two days before classes. <laughs> I did not want to leave France. And from that point forward, I said, I'm moving back to France. Everybody thought I was crazy. Everybody told me you're never going to get a job. Nobody's going to hire you. You have no experience to do, I mean, obviously to do anything really. And, you know, all I could do was speak French. And I said, I don't care if I have to be an au pair, which I was when I was doing, when I was in my year abroad. I said, I don't care if I have to be an au pair, if I, you know, whatever, wait tables. I don't care. Like I'm moving to France. But really everybody told me I was crazy. And I said, well, I know by the end of this year, I'll be in France. And a month later, Strangely, my sister was at this women's group in Silicon Valley, and this woman, this French woman was there, and she goes, oh, my sister's looking for a job. And she said, well, does she speak French? And my sister said, yeah, she's fluent. And the woman's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and she goes, well, have her call me. Yeah, yeah, right. That's what everybody says. Have her call me. So yeah. I called her the next day, and I'm, you know, scared because, you know, I, I don't know who this woman is. I know she was the CEO of, of a, you know, French software company with a subsidiary in Cupertino. No, and, um, no, so I call, uh, no pressure at all. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, and I'm like 22, right? I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's I even more nerve-wracking. I called her. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Exactly. No, I would be like, I would be definitely sweating <laughs> a little bit. Uh, it's leading into that one. <laughs> well, and also I have no skills. I mean, you know, like I said, I studied French literature, so I had nothing to do with tech, the tech industry at all. So I call her on the phone and she says, oh, yeah, you're her sister. She said, you, you know, she told me you speak French. I said, yeah. She said, OK. So she started speaking to me in French and I started speaking to her. She asked me a couple of questions and I answered. And then there was this long silence. And she goes, wait a second. She said, I met your sister. Your sister is definitely American. And she said, how do you speak French like that? And I was like, I lived there for a year. She's like, no, 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 no. Says, I know people who have lived in France for their whole lives and don't speak French as well as you do. And she says, I have to meet you. She said, come into my office tomorrow. That's so awesome. Like, oh, okay. I know. It was like really the surprise of my life. And she <laughs> said, look, if you enjoy the product, then you have a job. If you don't like it, then you've learned something new and you can go look for another job somewhere else. So I said, okay. And it was a relational database company, which I knew nothing about. And they gave me their quick start and they told me, you know, they told me to look at it. And I was looking at it and I didn't really understand everything. I mean, I understood what I was doing. I didn't understand what this whole product was exactly. A relational database meant nothing to me. And she's like, so what do you think? And I said, yeah, it's really interesting. She said, okay, then, you know, then we will hire you. And you could do tech support for English speaking clients from Paris. Because we need somebody who speaks English fluently. And so I was hired right then in, in February and May. I was in, living in Paris. Wow. So, I mean, that's it really like it really is everything that you've described is such I mean, really 
good fortune, but also I do feel like you get what you put into things, right? And you took risks that I think a lot of people don't want to take or feel like they can take. And like you said, you know, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people who are dismissive and they tell you that like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's never going to happen. You're not going to, that won't change or you won't do that. And it's really defeatist in a way that I think when you're inspired by something or truly drawn to something, it's hard to, I don't know, it just doesn't like hit me right when people say that because to me, it's just so self-limiting and I do want, you know, to be smart and stable about things. Like I said, I did graduate with like a virtually useless degree at like the worst time (laughs) in economic history compared to like, except for right now. But like, you know, I really felt like there's something that needs to change for me. And right now, obviously, it's not living in Italy, unfortunately. But I, you know, we moved out to the West Coast just over three years ago. And I had sort of resigned to the fact I'm going to be stuck in in Pennsylvania on the East Coast. This is where my jobs are. This is how it's happening. And, you know, I lost my job very unexpectedly. I was let go. And then you know, everyone in my life who is important and knows me well enough has said, you know, in said in that moment, like, fight the urge to do what you would normally do, which is fix this problem immediately, like see what it is that you actually care about and where you want to go from here. And I did try to like make a couple of like side hustles happen in my time off. It wasn't super productive, but it at least gave me a little bit of something to work on and pay attention to while I was unemployed. And I remember just feeling like this is it. Like we just bought this house. I'm unemployed. Like what am I doing? This sucks. And my wife is unbelievably supportive in the best ways possible when it comes to things like this. And she was like, you know, go on a trip, like do something, visit friends, do something like get out of your head. So I went on a road trip from Philly to Florida uh, by myself. I stopped in a few places to see friends. I also stayed in a couple of places by myself and just allowed myself to explore the cities that I was in. And it really does, I think, speak to the fact that we sometimes get funneled into these lives and these roles in our lives that maybe we wouldn't have chosen if we felt like we had different options. And if you don't sometimes explore those options on your own, then nobody's going to do it for you, which means that you're just going to sort of keep being a cog in the machine. And it's it works for some people, right? Like some people are completely okay with that. They like it. They feel secure in that. And for me, it just feels like suffocating. It's like, I need Mm -hmm. another option. I need to have the freedom to explore and experience. And I think the way you described how you want to continuously learn, not just with your mind, but with your heart, like that really spoke to me because it's so true. Mm -hmm. I think that they're sort of the type of people that experience things really at face value And then there are the people who experience things twice or more um, because, you know, you're you're living in that moment initially and then you're able to reflect on it. And I think, you know, maybe a little bit of that is sort of the writer's mind as well. And as a photographer, too, I do this. It's like there are these moments where you're just like, I have to capture this. You know, I have to capture this photo. I have to capture this thought. I really want to expand on this and see where that brings me. And when you start to free your mind from really the day-to-day stuff that ultimately doesn't matter, you do open up just this different layer of creativity. And I think in general, just this freedom that you can be whoever you want and be whatever you want, wherever you want, if you have the drive and the tenacity really to do it. And 
you will have a lot of mm-hmm. naysayers. You'll have a lot of naysayers. So do you feel like you've said you've been in Florence for 16 years. So what did people say when like you, you made the decision to just go all in on living in Florence or in Europe in general, I guess, because you did go to France first, as you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, yeah, most people kept thinking, you know, eventually you're going to come home and, you know, have a real life, quote unquote. And I, I was in for the adventure because I figured, well, you know, if things don't work out, where am I going to go? Probably back to the U.S. So I thought, I have nothing to lose. I mean, it's all cake, right? I mean, I have nothing to lose. You know, if things don't work out if I don't have a job and I'm homeless or something. I mean, of course, I would go somewhere else where I could absolutely get a job. But that never happened to me. You know, things kept coming my way. And I think when we follow our hearts, you know, it sounds very airy-fairy, but it really takes a lot of faith in something else. Whatever we believe in, it takes faith in knowing that things are going to work out perfectly. Yeah. And we just get in the way of that a lot of times. You know, we want to put things into, we want to fit them into a little box or we want to, you know, push them into a different direction. And really, I mean, if you think about it, the job you have now, your wife, like you couldn't have picked it and made sure that was what was going to happen because that's not how things work in our lives, yeah. you know? So I think a lot of things, we think we're in control of a lot. And I think really we're not. I agree with that sentiment completely, Melinda. Yes, and it is for the better. I'm sorry I cut you off as you were saying that, but you're right. I actually think Mm -hmm. sometimes the things in our lives that end up being the best for us are the things that we didn't even know were coming. And sometimes they're the outcome of an experience that maybe we didn't even want to have because I do think that there are those moments of self-realization where you do put sort of your own world into question and say, you know, why am I doing this? Do I want to be doing this? And if it's not for yourself and for your own, you know, mental and emotional well-being, then what's the point? And I think you Mm -hmm. hit the nail on the head when you were talking about having made the decision. You you know, you said you hadn't worked for, um, I think you said the period of four years. And I will say that writing and doing your photography and blogging and stuff like that is that is work right like it's not to discredit it's it's more like you weren't in maybe like a a corporate position or a a more like foundational position in that way but it is still energy and effort and heart put into something that is really there's something tangible there for you to be able to say like I did this and I put my heart and soul into this and it really really comes through I mean I pulled a couple of quotes from your blog just that I really loved. And this is another one that I think speaks to that freedom and that desire to really know yourself and know your city, which is, as I roam around Florence, I enjoy letting my heart lead me in different directions. When a sight appeals to me, I pause for a moment to bask in it. I become as quiet as possible and allow my senses to capture the details of my surroundings. My photos and anecdotes are the keepsakes of these precious moments. However, the most significant souvenirs of these moments are the impressions they leave in my heart. I mean, this quote perfectly encapsulates the way I felt living in Florence. And there's one thing that it really made me think of when you noted that you become as quiet as possible to allow your senses to capture the details of your surroundings. So I went to school at Lorenzo de' Medici, and I lived mm-hmm. over by Santa Croce. Do you, I don't know if it's still there, but I assume if you've been there for 16 years, you would know where the Red Garter is. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yep. Exactly. I live nearby. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So right across the street, we were at Via de Benci 14. So like really close to Santa Croce oh, okay. there. So I would walk to the school and, you know, I take different routes every now and then, but I, when I would be walking in the city, I would see this old man playing a violin. I mean, you were there while I was there studying because it was 12, yeah. 12 or 13 years ago now. So there's an old man playing a violin on the corner and he had like socks and sandals and sometimes he'd be wearing sunglasses. And this was like pre-iPod era. So, or maybe it was like very early iPod, but I was still anti-Apple devices until I realized they would take over my life. <laughs> but I was listening to my very, very much obsolete Phillips uh, jukebox MP3 player and I would take out my headphones and I would take off my sunglasses whenever I would pass because I wanted to hear the violin and I would listen until I could no longer hear it in the distance and then I'd put my headphones back in Mm. because I just loved it like it had its own soundtrack to those moments in my life that I could come back to and I actually have a photo of this man playing the violin and it was up in one of my, I think maybe in my room in college or something. And somebody asked me if it was my grandfather. And I was like, no, it's just a random man in Italy who plays the violin. <laughs> and it's just very nice. It's a great memory for me. So, um, yeah, you know, that's beautiful. I, I mean, I just like, I get that, you know. And so it was just wonderful to really read your words and then be like, yes, 100%. So do you feel that you had that same mindfulness and appreciation for the present moment before moving to Italy or before moving to Europe? Or do you think that's something that you've really cultivated over the years and being in a place where it is more of that work to live, not live to work mentality? I definitely cultivated over the years. And the four year, my four plus year hiatus was really me jumping off of the it's like the hamster jumping off the wheel. You know, it's like I, I kept running, right? I mean, I'm working, making money, but am I working to make money or do I need to make the money because I'm buying or whatever, I'm spending it. You know, it's like you don't know if you're really working for a purpose or if you're just like doing it because you have to do it. Totally. To sustain your life. So I think in that, I mean, there are other things that led up to that. And I think gradually I was really learning about living in the moment. And it was when I took the break that I realized, wow, I can fill, I fill up my day all by myself. You know, it's like, I, if I want to read all morning, I can read all morning. I can go for a walk and go for a run. I can, you know, go visit a museum. And so it I had a lot of, for me, it was the most luxurious four and a half years of my life because I was really the master of my time. I was doing whatever I felt like. I love that sentiment the, about every day. being the master <laughs> of your time. And isn't that what we all want? Yeah. Because I totally agree with you. Gosh, I am, uh, yeah. I feel like, we have like some like unseen connection with the way that you think and speak about life. It just really resonates so, so Mm -hmm. deeply with me. And when I read your words and they're so just on point with how I not only think about some of these things, but also my own experiences, it it literally, some of the things that you've written, I, I read and I just think to myself, yes, like this is how it feels. This is, it, it brings you back. So it's not only for those who haven't been to be able to really experience Florence through your work, but also it's for the people like myself who have been and are longing to go back. And mm-hmm. it really just like that city imbibes, you know, and it really gives you something to yeah. come back to. And, you know, it makes me wonder, 
how do you feel you've changed since deciding to live in Florence? Is that is it mostly around how you're spending your days and you're prioritizing your time or is it something different than that? Mm, that's a big part of it. The other part is that I feel that Florence is the first time I've ever considered Florence to be almost like a person, like a, a woman. I, I see her as a woman and that's just, I don't know why, but that's what came to me. And through my own life experiences, I felt, I think the reason why I felt like I was home was I felt as if I had just landed in, in the city's arms. You know, it's almost like you're embraced by Florence and she will lead you wherever you need to go, which is basically into your heart, which is where all of your joy is. Because even whatever we think about is outside of us that makes us happy in the moment. The real joy is what we get to keep inside of us, right? It's not because you have a wife that you're happy. It's because of the love you share with each other. That's the joyful part of the relationship. You know, not just the ring on the finger or someone sitting next to you. It is that exchange of energy. And I feel that with Florence, you know, that she's always nudging me into my heart, I guess. Oh, oh gosh, I love that. I, uh what a beautiful analogy and how utterly poetic, I, truly. I mean, I don't, yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed with like joy for this conversation that I, I feel like there's so many things that I could talk to you about and forever because it's just fascinating and, and you're so, and you're so articulate about how you see these things and how you feel about them. You know, Florence is obviously super full of history and, and, you know, you were pointing out the fact that there's obviously no shortage of information that you can really gather in being there. Is there a part of history's Florence that you feel particularly connected to? Or is it more just that you like to sort of take things in as they come and, you know, just as you mentioned before, continuing to expand on that? I think the most significant part of Florence's history for me was the last of the Medici. So her name was Ana Maria Luisa de Medici. And she bequeathed Florence's, her family's treasures to the city of Florence for Florence to sustain itself through tourism so they could make money and take care of all of these, you know, treasures and masterpieces that are priceless. And the fact that she did that was a very, really showed the heart of, or showed her heart to, because, you know, she could have sold it and gave money and whatever she wanted to do with it, right? She could have given it to anybody. But instead, she gave it to the city so that the city could sustain itself. And and I found that such a beautiful gesture because it was very selfless and heartfelt and that she knew that this city was a place where people needed to experience it, to see these treasures and masterpieces. Because I think our lives are changed by such works of art there's no denying it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's one of the things that really just, it fascinated me so much in being in Europe in general, but especially in Italy where, you know, the first place we went when we landed was Rome and we were there for a couple of days. I really didn't spend much time there. It was extremely touristy in how we were guided through it because we were all with this program. So I didn't really, I think, have a chance to do Rome necessarily quote right, but I remember sort of feeling like it was too much for me and like sort of in the way Manhattan is for me also, like my mom's a New Yorker. I grew up going to the city a lot, but like it just, it's not my speed. Whereas I think Florence has this 
really incredible history that is not as commonly addressed maybe as Roman history is. Mm -hmm. And it's not for Mm -hmm. lack of information, right? Because there's so much Mm. history in Florence. I think that there's, it's almost to me as an American, I would say it's completely understated in really most Mm -hmm. things that you would learn in any sort of curriculum here, which is a completely separate topic. But I do think that there's the reality that you know, you think about like the Duomo and Brunelleschi and how he, you know, basically, I mean, and I say this again, I, my, the room that I'm in right now has a lot of little things that are all geared towards Italy. I, the other photos I can see right now is a, a trifecta of photos of the Duomo, ones of the front, ones uh, looking up the bell tower and ones looking at the dome. And then slightly mm. over to the left, I see a photo of the two people I used to buy my prosciutto from because I, I was like, can I get a picture of you before I leave? Um, they just probably watched me like gaining weight aggressively for four months. But when I, funny story, when I was leaving, you know, I didn't know that the man who was feeding me this, all this prosciutto all these months spoke English because I never heard him speak English. And then I was with mm-hmm. one of my friends and we were joking and I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, I love you. Thank you so much. And he's like, you love me or the prosciutto? And I was like, I'm mortified. But it was really, it's, you know, I think that speaks to sort of the whole, really just the beauty of Florence is the actual majesty of the city and the beauty and the like legitimate tangible reality that exists in front of you. And the fact that, like I was saying, you know, with the Duomo, you know, these are technological feats that were being completed in a time where you're using like pulley systems. It makes no sense. It's like, you can't even fathom how these things are carved out of marble and how it went on for so long. So you think about what that city would look like deconstructed as it's being built up and then to like really see yourself there and and really just you know to use your term embraced by the city and by the vastness of what the city offers because it's both in actual I think grandeur but also in the history and the way that you know so many of the people that have influenced art and philosophy and really just a variety of other areas, technology, like the, these things, so many of them originated in Florence. And we yeah. don't, I think, have a really great grasp, at least in the States, like if you're learning anything historically here, like you're not seeing all of that. And so I think there was this added really significant component when I lived there to also actually be educated there because it forced me Mm -hmm. to understand more about the city and what it's really like to live there and be part of that culture as well. Did you feel like you were welcomed by the community in Florence? Uh, Did it take you time to adjust? And, you know, obviously learning Italian and things like that are very important, but it is a fairly Americanized city in that there are a lot of people who speak English because of the tourism. So is there, I guess, from your standpoint, did you feel like you sort of just became part of it immediately? Or was that a process for you to like really integrate into the Italian culture? I mean, I think it's always a process and it's hard to just, you know, be a part of a place that, you know, you just arrived in. And I didn't speak any Italian when I first arrived. So I made a point of only speaking Italian 
even if I had to pull out my, a dictionary that I kept in my pocket for the first two, three months, I refused to speak English to people. And because I don't look typical American, they didn't obviously venture out to just speak English to me. And if they did, I would just speak to them in, in Italian. So I was really quite adamant about speaking Italian. And that helped. And also, I think because I had lived in Paris and, and London before that, I also knew that you really have to just be honest and sincere in interactions. And, you know, you can't portray yourself as anybody than who you are. And, you know, fortunately, being pulled out of my own you know, American life, I had to really discover who am I without people telling me who they think I am and without them seeing me in a certain way, you know. So, and I really understood that in Florence, they really valued people who were able to be sincere because they are, for me, the Florentines that I know are very sincere and they really appreciate sincerity. You know, I can only talk about Florence because I've been to Rome, but I don't know the Romans. I mean, every town and city outside of Florence is very different and the culture is very different besides the language being a a tad different as well. But I think that really just being yourself, presenting yourself for who you are and really helped, I think, in in integrating. I mean, I I have friends of all different, you know, backgrounds, cultures and yeah, backgrounds, even, you know, education and work, you know, because some people I think sometimes in America, we might get stuck into people only who are in our industry or who are in our, you know, social status. Yeah, I guess. But not really in Florence. Like I, you know, I'm not in any group of people, but I have friends from all different types of groups. And so, you know, there's like a doctor who knows a plumber who knows, you know, an architect who knows, you know, they're all friends and not based on anything else other than their own personal history, maybe with each other or just people that they enjoy being with. Yeah. I think that's what's interesting about integrating is that they really see you for who you are and they didn't think, oh, you're American. That means you're this, 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 and this. So I was fortunate not to have that because they also knew I'd lived somewhere else before. So it's almost like, eh, not really that American. Yeah. But of course I am, but. It does help though. <laughs> I do find, you know, I also can pass for Italian. So that was a benefit to me at points in times I felt, you know, I don't stand out very mm-hmm. much. I mean, I've been to Greece as well, yeah. where I've just had people start speaking Greek to me. And I mean, I'm like, I know enough to mm-hmm. say hello to you. But the first time mm-hmm. that I went to the market in Florence, the central market, I went speaking about the people that I used to get my prosciutto from. The biggest issue I had immediately was that we don't use the metric system. And so I didn't know. I didn't even think to try to convert what a kilo was. So I just came back with 2.2 pounds of prosciutto. It's fine. And I was like, why do I need all of this? I don't need all of this. Eventually that was like, actually, at first it was an accident, then it became a habit, but it was, you know, (laughs) but, but, you know, I think that you hit a really good point with the fact that, you know, if you show up authentically, if you, if you try, I think is what's important there, you know, you Mm -hmm. are making an effort to like you said, integrate with the culture, become part of it. Don't, you know, lose yourself in the process, Mm -hmm. but also respect where you are. And I think that that's something that is really incredible about Florence and my time there as well, is that I didn't really ever feel like I was somebody who was bothering people by being there and being American because hopefully this is why I assume, because I really did try, you know, I really, I didn't know any Italian when I went there. I was learning it as we went. 
I very much like you, I would try to speak it when I had the opportunity. And at the same time, I was living with friends and we're all American. So we were speaking English outside of it. And I, so I think that part of what's really interesting about your story is, you know, really you needed to make the decision to ramp up on your Italian pretty quickly, I imagine, because while you could probably get by with English, it is, for me, I see it honestly, like as a matter of respect too, is that I don't want to assume that everybody should speak English because I speak English. And even in traveling to France, we were in Paris and Granted, we were college students, so there's like a million reasons why people might not have liked us. I don't dress, well, at the time, I definitely dressed way less fashionably than I would if it weren't quarantine times. Probably, actually, I dressed like what I'm wearing during quarantine times. I'm like a baseball mm-hmm. hats, t-shirts, you know, just uh, rolling around however I look. But I do think that, you know, there's something to be said for how in Italy trying was enough. But when I was in Paris, there I was, I and I actually spent spoke French pretty well. I was fluent, probably relatively fluent at the time, having taken seven years of French. But I remember at this, of course, it was like a crappy hotel, but the concierge basically saying to me, like, speak English. And I refused to. I was like, I know you know what I'm saying. I will keep saying it to you in French just to try to prove a point. So I remember coming back from that experience and talking to my parents about it. And my grandfather, or my grandfather as well, my grandfather, who's Italian, he said to me, he's like, I have a buddy who lives in Paris. He says, you know, the Parisians hate everybody, even the French. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes me feel a little (laughs) bit better about it, I guess. And then I ended up having this really wonderful conversation in French with this woman in Versailles, um, who very much didn't speak any English, who asked me if I wanted her to take a photo of me. And I remember having this moment and being like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I'm, I don't really want this photo of me, but I want to be able to look at this photo of me and have this moment to remember. And so when you get to a place where like you're speaking the language and you're embracing the culture and you're really just allowing yourself to become who you are in those moments. Like I think it has, I used the term earlier, I think liberating, right? It really allows Mm -hmm. you, I think, to see with more clarity what it is that is important because you can strip away sort of all the extraneous noise when you're in a place that is so engaging really of all of the senses. I mean, I think about Florence, I think about the smell of leather as I walk through the streets. I think about, you know, the smells coming from all the food places that smell amazing. You know, there's, there's obviously like, you know, general city aromas as well, but there, but generally speaking, you know, there's really just something that to me, like Florence is just a full on sensory experience, whether you're smelling the leather in the shops or you're tasting wine or you're grabbing like a bite to eat of like some little hole in the wall or you're tasting something at the market or watching a sunset like there's so many things that I think really just pull together just a comprehensive experience for you as you're going through that journey and whether you're there for a weekend or 10 days or months or 16 years it's it feels to me like a place that you both simultaneously you know really attracts you, but also it, I guess maybe it has a magnetism, right? It's like 
once you go there, like you're not going to be able to ever fully leave it is how I feel sort of in a way. Do you, do you get that sense? I mean, obviously, I mean, you, you literally were like, I'm just going to stay here now. Um, so, so, um, but, but what's that like for you? I mean, do you feel like it is sort of this gift that keeps on giving? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if I didn't, I wouldn't be taking pictures and writing (laughs) anecdotes. I I, I write them because I really feel it. I mean, I mean, I can't fake it. (laughs) That's not who I am. That's not what I can do. But I I also believe that not only does Florence kind of nestle herself in our hearts, I think she also kind of taps us even when we're not in Florence, because we can still have that same, you know, wonder and awe and seek beauty wherever we are and see beauty in anything. I mean, I know when I go to the state, sometimes I'm walking by, you know, in in like suburbia and I'm walking past people's front yards and I'm like, God, that's so beautiful. Look at the grass, how perfect it is. And the roses in the back. And, and I'm like, how come nobody else is stopping to look at this? Like, this is pretty amazing. You know, and it's interesting because, you know, I took a picture outside of my sister's house at her neighbor's and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, this rose is so beautiful. Oh, my gosh. I I swear, Melinda, I feel like we have something I like I just I don't know what it is, but I feel like our souls are intertwined because I seriously do the same thing. There's roses in our neighbor's corner and they're these like vibrant, beautiful things. And I will take pictures of those and also comment constantly on sunsets. So when like you had said something yeah. about that earlier, I mean, I'm always like, oh, babe, look at the sunset. And she's like, yeah, it's another sunset. And I'm like, no, they're always different and, and magical. Appreciate it with me in this moment. Come on. You know, so it's like, I totally get it. Like you just, you know, it allows you to really feel connected and to bring you back to those things too. Right. You know, yeah. so yeah. as we're wrapping up, I just, I wanted to ask one more question and so imagine a time where we can visit other countries again in the future. What would you tell someone who has never visited Florence that they absolutely must do? And it doesn't have to be something that is, you know, a typical thing on the list. It can be. But if there's like a hidden gem that you have in mind or just something that you feel like somebody can't go to Florence uh, without seeing. Hmm. I mean, as far as like specific spots, I would say it depends on people's interests. I mean, I definitely believe in freedom. I think that the freedom of choice. So I think that if I were to tell, and I usually tell people this all the time, is really to let yourself be guided by your heart. I mean, just, you know, if you feel like going down the street, go down the street. Do I go into the river? Go to the river. You feel like going into a building like I did, Orta Michele, the church. I mean, then do it. It really is a time, I believe that traveling is, is a time to really open ourselves up to get out of our habits, right? Where we don't wake up and go to the coffee machine and, you know, do our normal things. We're in a different place. Everything's different. It looks different. Food's different. So it's, maybe it's, it's a nice moment to just embrace being present. And it is a practice. It's not like you just do it once and then, okay, I'm doing it all the time. You can't do it all the time. But I think it's a practice that we can get into so that we can really appreciate life because every day is precious, you know, sometimes we, we forget that. Oh, gosh, 100%. And I think that Florence, yeah, Florence really kind of takes us back into our hearts. And I think wherever I go now, you know, I miss Florence when I'm not here, but I don't miss Florence like I used to because I know Florence is inside of me. You know, she's in my heart and she's always nudging me in, in different directions continually, you know. And 
And I just believe that it's like, you know, I remember earlier when you said I'm an artist, it's funny because I think that of myself, not because I create art, but because I create with my heart. So I kind of see it more as a heartist. I like <laughs> but, that. <laughs> because it really, it's, it's whatever, however we can express ourselves from our heart, that is art to me. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's kind of what I learned from Florence. And I would say that we just have to let ourselves be guided by our hearts because that's what traveling is about. For sure. Oh, my gosh. Um, Melinda, this has been such a joy for me. I incredibly, I and feel for incredibly me. <laughs> lucky. Thank you so much for your time and your energy and just your overall look at life. I mean, truly, truly such a unique and beautiful perspective that I am excited to both experience and share with people because I really feel like you are so able to transport me and other people to these places that are just incredibly beautiful to look at with your words that are so wonderfully articulated and descriptive. You just, you feel like you're in those moments and to be able to take what was just an admiration for your photos on Instagram and your blog and turn that into an interview where I got the opportunity to learn more about your experience and to honestly just reminisce about Florence. I will do this all day, every day. Mm-hmm. My wife will be like, good, you <laughs> talk you. to somebody who's there about it. <laughs> like, um, you know, I do feel like once she goes, I feel like once we have a chance to be there together, you know, she'll fall in love with it as well. And so hopefully when that time comes, yeah. ideally you will still will be come. there and we will hopefully grab yep. a cup of coffee together. Yeah. <laughs> or watch a sunset together. Yes, all, <laughs> all of, of the above. I'm here for it. Yes, a sunset, a sunset indeed. And maybe capture some photos together for sure. I just, yeah. thank you so much, Melinda, for your time. You are seriously like you, you made so my day. I'm so glad this was a morning conversation because I am going to be flying high for the rest of the day. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. I'm so honored you asked me, really. It's been a pleasure. I loved it. <laughs> Well, gang, that's all for this episode of the Who the Fuck podcast. A big thank you to Melinda for sharing her story and her time. Don't forget to check out her Instagram at Melinda Gallo and her blog, Living in Florence, for beautiful photos and narratives that will make you feel like you're there too. And now more than ever, I'm sure we could all use that. Make sure you subscribe to the Who the Fuck podcast on your preferred platform. And if you like what you hear, go ahead and share the love by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Share your email at whothefck.com to receive updates about the podcast, merch promos, and more. Until next time. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. 
I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast.